This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Today, you're going to hear a message from Ty Goldstrom. He's going to speak on the refining fire He spoke this message for my staff at World Ministries International, May 29, 2004. Now, sit back and enjoy today's program. As we were worshiping, and a lot of things go through my mind. Sometimes I share them as I come to the pulpit about what the Lord was showing me during worship. And of course, when you're going to speak the word, you're always interested about how the Lord might lead other people in the service to lead. And of course, my wife leading the worship today... And just seeing the songs, I mean, I could almost just put up the songs one by one and go through my sermon. Because many of the things that we sang today and we cried out to the Lord are the same things that we will discuss today. And that is such a confirming word, and I've said this before, but when you're going to go and give the Word of God, there is a reverence and a holy fear to give the Word of God correctly. And when you prepare, you want the Word of God to come across as the Lord Himself would come across. And when you get the confirmation through worship, that the theme is the same, that the Lord is speaking to more than one person. It is refreshing for the person who's going to deliver the word. Amen? Amen. Also, I had a deep burden as we were worshiping. And I believe this burden was not only for myself, but I believe it was for several others in here. I had a burden for loved ones that were not saved. Because as I was worshiping the Lord, I brought my mind back to communion time when oftentimes a minister will say, has everyone been served? And of course, the correct answer is no. Not everybody has been served. There are many out there that have not been served. And I thought about my close friends and relatives that don't know Jesus Christ. And I had a burden and I almost began to weep because I want them to be right with Jesus Christ. And I believe that there were several here that had that same burden and in some ways it was a bit of a distraction for them because their hearts were on their loved ones. And so before we continue today, I just want to offer a quick prayer. And I want you in your mind and in your lips to think of the one or two perhaps in your life that need to know Jesus Christ. Perhaps they're ones that you've been witnessing to, praying for. I want you not to be discouraged. Don't judge by the outward manifestation, but allow the Spirit of God to speak through you. Because oftentimes on the outward, things don't appear like things are happening. And that can become a discouragement. And oftentimes, I believe, Satan would like to get you discouraged because when we're in a place of discouragement, oftentimes we don't pray anymore. Oftentimes we pull back. But Jesus Christ is saying, press on. Press on for that loved one. Press on for that family member. 
I hear your cry and I am pouring out my spirit. I am speaking to that person. I am causing circumstances in their lives to be shaped to bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Sometimes that allows for a person to wander away. Remember the story of the lost son. Where the dad, I'm sure, saw there was a problem with this child. Amen? It's not like when the child came and says, give me my money, I want to leave. That probably was not a surprise to him. I'm sure the fruit bore witness in his life far before that. Yet there was a time where the father had to allow the son to make bad decisions. Why? Not because it's Jesus Christ's will that we make bad decisions to come to him, but he knows that oftentimes we have to go and find out what this world has to offer us, what the prince of this world has to offer us. And like the lost son, one day we will come to our senses and will return to our father. And so don't be discouraged if it seems like that son or that daughter, that loved one, that friend is wandering the wrong way. Don't let that discourage you. But understand that when that son, when that daughter, when that friend goes out into the world, they're going to be under what? The prince of this world. The prince of this world does not treat you very nicely. He will use you. He will manipulate you. He will deceive you. He will allow you to eat the food of pigs. He will allow you to do foolish things like the prodigal son. But keep on praying. Keep on persevering. Because Jesus Christ says, ask, seek, and knock. Amen? Amen. He doesn't say how long. He just tells you to ask, seek, and knock. Persevere. And so right now, I'm going to lead in a very short prayer. And you know in your heart, those who are on your heart, to know Jesus Christ. And you can join me in this prayer. Father God, I pray for my family, Lord. I pray for my loved one that doesn't know you, Lord Jesus. I have such a burden and such a desire that the things that are within me, the Holy Spirit within me, the fellowship of Jesus Christ, the intimacy of the Holy Spirit, I want so much, Lord, for my loved one to experience that, Lord Jesus. And it grieves me and it burdens me when I see them making choices that are contrary to the will of God. Father, I pray for protection upon them even as they make poor decisions, Lord, even as they pull away. Oh, Jesus, I pray that you protect him. Yet on the same hand, Lord God, I pray that their circumstances of their lives would be such that they would come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Like the prodigal son, you had to wipe away the assets. You had to allow him to eat the food of pigs, Lord God. But finally he came to his senses, Lord. I pray for my loved ones and my family, Lord. I pray, dear God, that you would shape their circumstances. Father, I pray that you would bring a person of influence into their life. A person that they would listen to. A person that you anoint to give spiritual authority in their lives for such a time as this, Lord God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, send your servants. Send your voice into their lives, Lord God. Shake them, Lord God, where they're at. Shake their very foundation, Lord. The thing, Lord God, that they put their security in, whether it's mammon, whether it's their popularity, whatever it is, Lord God, I pray that you breathe upon that foundation, Lord God. Because when you shake, Lord God, all things that can be shaken will be shaken, Lord God, and you will destroy the foundation. And then they will cast their eyes upon the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Father God, we pray for the salvation of our family, the salvation of of our loved ones, Lord. And Lord, we know that our part to play is to ask, to seek, and to knock, to persevere, to not give up, to not judge by the outward man. 
because we never know what's happening in the heart of hearts. And so speak to them, Lord God. Speak to them, Lord Jesus. Draw them to yourself. We trust you, Lord God. We love you. We commit their lives, their souls to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, last week we spoke on the fire of God. And I'm going to give a very quick summation of last week for two reasons. One, there's a few people here this week that weren't here last week. And second, I believe it's so important, the themes that we talked about last week, because it was really the foundation for what we'll talk about today. You know, last week we really talked about the sovereign act of God, didn't we? It wasn't based on man that the fire of God and the baptism of the Holy Spirit came. It wasn't by just the will of man that Jesus Christ came and laid down his life for you and me. That's the difference about Christianity. That's what separates Christianity from all other religions of this world. All other religions, they do what? It starts on man. It's focused on man doing what? Man himself pursuing God. Yet with Jesus Christ, God pursued man. And before the foundations of the world, God sent his Son. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it good to know that before any of the sins that you committed in your life, though just like me, you are a wretch? You are a wretch just like me. Even my good works, it says in the scriptures, are but filthy rags. There's always a hint of the flesh in everything I do. Yet before every sin that you committed in your life, the Father determined to send His only one Son, His only begotten Son. Why? Because He so loved the world. He so loved you. He so loved your family member that's not serving the Lord. That's why He sent His Son. And we can individualize the gospel. That when He hung upon that tree, He was looking right at you or right at me. and says, I do this for you, my son, for you, my daughter. Praise the Lord. The scripture tells us that he'll leave the 99 and go after the one. You are that one, and I am that one. We are always that one at some point, aren't we? Praise God that he will leave the flock. He will die for the one. He would die if it was just you. That's the love of God. And so we talked really about the work of God. Our keynote text last week was Matthew 3.11. It says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We talked about that word fire, pure in Greek. And it speaks largely of the judgment or justice of God. And one thing that was so important to understand that the judgment and justice of God is not a bad thing, it is a good thing. We have turned judgment into a bad thing. But really, I hope that if anything you gained from last week, you'll understand that the justice and judgment of God are a good thing. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Pure. He's a consuming fire. Why? Because fire, the justice and judgment of God, is the very nature of God. Why is it good? Because it's God. Just like we can say the love of God is good, or the joy of God is good, or the peace of God is good, we can say that the justice of God, the judgment of God is so good. This is why we can say the Lord loves judgment. The effects of the fire, judgment and justice of God, depends on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? That was one of the major points last week. 
the effects of the fire, the effects of the pure, the effects of the justice or the judgment of God. It's coming down. He's breathing forth. Remember, God is not waiting for man. God has come to man. And when he comes to man, he is bringing the justice and judgment of his character. And the effects of that fire. Remember, it says he's coming to what? He's coming to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The effects of that fire are vastly different in dependence and relationship with Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 and 7 says, in speaking of angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. John chapter 15, verse 5 and 6 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. You see, the fire of God, the justice of God, can either produce fruits or it can produce burned branches. And it totally depends on what? If you remain in him. The justice of God and the judgment of God the very character of God himself, it's coming forth whether you like it or not. But if you're under the blood of Jesus Christ, it comes to make you a flame of pure, a flame of fire. It comes that you might bear fruit. If you're apart from that relationship, then the fire of God still comes. But without repentance, without relationship, it comes and it burns. Why? Because the blood is not there to protect you. Praise the Lord. We talked last week about a scripture that says that I am coming, and when I come, I will kindle a fire, and it will bring division within the house. The fire always brings division. When the fire of God, the Spirit of God comes into your life, I guarantee it, it will cause division in your life. Jesus Christ says, they hated me. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Because the fire of God, the reality of Jesus Christ, when the very character of God is flowing through you, it always causes division. We ended with the text that we'll start with today, Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And it says, See, I will send my messenger. Who is the messenger? John the Baptist. See, I will send my messenger. Remember Matthew chapter 11 and verse 10, when Jesus was talking about the ministry of John the Baptist, and he quoted this very scripture and says, I will send my messenger, and it was John. Jesus Christ himself interpreted this prophetic word in Malachi. And we know when Jesus interprets the Old Testament, he's always right. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> so see, I will send my messenger, John the Baptist, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? We talked about the day of his coming. And one thing that I pointed out last week is don't always think that when it says when the day comes that it's always talking about the end times. But one thing I said last week is what? In the context of this scripture, the immediate context speaks of what? The day when he sends his messenger, John the Baptist. That is the day who can endure his coming. But if you go to Bible college, you learn a fancy term called a double entendre. And that means that there's a prophetic utterance that can have more than one fulfillment. And I believe this is a similar scripture. That it's speaking first and foremost of the time when Jesus Christ would incarnate in the times of John the Baptist. But it will also speak of a day when he finally comes again. It's kind of like the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember Jesus Christ says, 
through John, and John 1, that he came and he what? He tabernacled amongst us when he became incarnate. But we also know the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles is what? When he comes back again. There's a double fulfillment. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. Then there's this peculiar statement, so I will come near to you for judgment. Now again, we always cringe when we hear that word, and you cannot cringe. Because whenever it says the Lord is coming near to you, that's a good thing. As long as you're under the blood. Amen? If you're not under the blood, you don't want the Lord to be too near. Right? And so if you're not under the blood, and the Spirit of God is not protecting you, you don't want to be where the Lord wants to be. That's why sometimes it's difficult to get an unsaved person to church. Amen? Because they know that they might come to a place where the Lord's presence will be. And unless they repent of their sin in the presence of God, the glory of God, the fire of God comes down and it burns. That's why it says that the Spirit of God must draw a man. The Spirit of God, almost like an ad hoc protection to get them to a place so they can understand and respond to Jesus Christ. But he says there's a time coming, the time of John the Baptist, where I will come close to you in judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widow and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. See, he comes, and it even shows right here in Malachi 3 that when his fire comes, it will bring judgment to those who are perverting his ways. Can you see the one fire coming down and having a different effect? Even in Malachi 3, he says, I'll come down, and for those who are what? Those who are part of me, I'll come down for to be purifiers. I'll be a soap. I'll be a cleaner of your life. But for those who are outside my covenant, for those who reject me, for those who want to pervert my ways, I'll come down in the fire that will burn. Remember we sang a song here, that you want to be in a place that the fire won't burn you. That place is in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. So he says here that he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites. I want to draw your attention to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5 and 9. We understand the Levites in the Old Testament were the priesthood. In 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9, it says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be what? To be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Praise God. That is your identity. That is your identity. When Jesus Christ looks at you, that's what He looks at you as. A holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You were a person, you were a people without a name, but now you have a name. We are called Christians. We are called followers of the living God because he pursued us, because he died for us. And that's good news, amen? 
So John the Baptist declares the arrival of the Lord in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. He says that one will come. I, right now, I will baptize you with water. But there is one coming of whose sandals I am not worthy to tie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We read about the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost had fully come in Acts chapter 2. And we described the very thing that Matthew, John the Baptist, prophesied there would be a time coming when he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Then the day of Pentecost come, they heard what? They heard the sound of a mighty, violent, rushing wind. Wind being the exact same word as spirits. So he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And here comes the wind, the violent winds. And here comes the cloven tongues of fire as a perfect fulfillment of Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I want to concentrate now on the application. We talked mostly last week about the work of God and what he did for us. And now we've got to understand what do we do to respond to this outpouring. Because God has given a resource, he has given a provision for our life. We need to apply that provision. He has drawn close to us. He has given us a resource that is great, that has no end. And today he wants to show us through Pentecost power how we can apply that to a life, how that can look in our lives. You know what happens with Pentecost, especially in Pentecostal circles? When we talk about Pentecost, we emphasize what? We emphasize the power to be witnesses. Amen? And that is so important because the Lord even said, go and tarry, and then after you tarry, I will send something to you. And when you receive that thing, then you can be my witnesses. But we must understand that there are steps in between that. Just because you receive the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost in your life doesn't mean that now you just go out and witness. There's a maturing process along the way. Yes, we start witnessing. We should start witnessing the day that we're saved. Praise the Lord. We shouldn't wait. One thing that's always true in the body of Christ is there's always one stronger than you and there's always one weaker than you. Praise the Lord. And we should always look to the one stronger and allow them to have that spiritual authority in our lives. But we must understand that in the body of Christ, all of us have some measure of spiritual authority. You have some measure of influence around you. And we should use that influence for the glory of God. When we come to the church, all of us have influence. All of us have some measure of spiritual authority. All of us have some gift that God has given us. And the thing that we want to do is we don't want to just merely be a sponge. When we come to church and we just absorb, 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 absorb. But rather we want to be more like a pump. A pump allows water to come in, but it also pushes water out. Right? I want you to be pumps for the Lord. I want you to come and to glean what the Spirit of God is doing. I want you to absorb it. And then I want you to expel it for the building of His body, for the evangelism of this world. Praise the Lord. I want you to be a pump. I want you to receive, but I want you to give. In most churches throughout the world, people come and they soak it up, but they never get rid of it. And there's a point where you can't absorb anymore, right? Every sponge has a point of saturation where it cannot take any more. And you can cry to the Lord, Lord, I want more of you, more of you, more of you, more of you. God says, no, you are saturated. Give it away. Go. And I'll squeeze you and you can drip over people. 
You can influence people. You can speak words of divine love into people's life. God is not looking just for sponges. He's looking for people that will go and give. Because when you allow him to be, you to be a drink offering for the Lord, then he can fill you up and he expands you so that you can hold more to give out more. Right? The parable of the talents. As you learn to be responsible and a steward of the gifts of God, realizing that you are a minister for Jesus Christ, that you are the one that goes and proclaims the good news, this is when he fills you up. This is why I believe that most churches, they have a certain measure of influence or rule, and a lot of them stay there forever and ever and ever. And you can visit a church one year and go back the next year, and it's almost exactly the same. Something has happened, and it's not the Spirit of God that's made it happen. Because the Spirit of God is in their reproduction. He's into allowing that thing to birth and to grow. No church, I believe, should ever stay the same. Right? Because the Great Commission is to go and to bring them in to clean them by the Holy Spirit, to mature them so they can go out. We should be constantly a living organism that constantly gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Praise the Lord. It's kind of like when a sperm and an egg come together. If the thing just multiplies three or four times and then stops, there's a problem. Amen? And if that happens, if it reproduces itself for a short time and then stops, what happens? Your body says, something's wrong, get rid of it. Right? The body doesn't hold on to it forever. If it's not maturing, if it's not growing, if it's not healthy, if it's content with where it's at, your physical body will reject it and you'll have a, what? A miscarriage. But in the body of Christ, I believe that God himself is not happy with a body who is content. Remember the word to the, I think it's Revelation chapter 3. He says, I wish you other hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, I'm going to what? Spew you out of my mouth. I'm going to allow you to be miscarried. Isn't that a gross analogy? But it's pretty true, huh? When we come to a place where we're no longer reproducing, God is not pleased, either in our own personal lives or in a corporate body. We are birthed, the very essence of who we are in Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. It is a living breathing, expanding, multiplying organism. Amen? And in our own lives, and we have to judge ourselves, this is why it's so important to spend time with the Lord, because He wants to show these things to us. If you ever come to the place where you're not reproducing anymore, I always can tell what's going on in their spiritual lives. The litmus test of a person's life, and how much time they're spending with the Lord, is how much do they share Jesus Christ? Right? If you never share Jesus Christ... If you never bring up his name, if you go through your life and you go through your workplace or you go through your school and you never speak of Jesus Christ, it's pretty obvious that he's not the most important thing in your life. And there's a place where you just become idle. You stop reproducing. And God will try to encourage you. He'll try to bring a word. He'll try to bring a sermon. He'll try to bring something to you to ignite you again, revive you again. God is a God of revival. If you're dead, he wants to revive you. It hurts sometimes, but he wants to revive your life. He will bring it to you. He will challenge you. He'll give a word to you that you're in idleness. But there's a time where God finally says, wait a second here. Unfortunately, the fire's got to come down and do something with this child. Because it's not expanding. It's not growing. There's a problem here. And in our own lives, I want us to be reproducing. 
I want us to give birth to something. But to give birth to something, you've got to allow that seed of the Holy Spirit, the fire of God, to come and to birth it within you, to expand it. You know, Jesus Christ wants to put his words and his burden deep within your belly. You ever felt that? You ever been to that place where you place a burden and you just feel it like burning and gnawing in your belly? It's burning and it doesn't hurt in a physical, but you can just feel, you sense this thing in here. It's like this fireball, just brewing, and you just got to shout it out. That happens sometimes with my own personal prayer. God will come down and just burst something, and I just have this almost like this spiritual baby in me, this burning sensation, and I just got to shout and pray and intercede and pray to get rid of that burden. Where's Sister Melinda? She's in the back. I think she can probably hear me. She can probably, as an intercessor, relate to that. Because if you're a real intercessor, God puts a burden and a desire in your belly, and you've got to get rid of it. You know what I'm saying? It's like being a, a woman in labor. When labor comes, you've got to get rid of it. It's only going one direction, amen? If you keep it in there, there's a big problem. And it's the same when God gives you that baby, that spiritual, he just bursts it within you. It's like you just got to get rid of it and allow it to go back to Jesus. That's really what intercessory prayer is all about. And so today, I want to talk about the fire. I want to talk about the Spirit of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I want to talk about it in practical language. Because really, to be an on-fire Christian, sold out for Jesus Christ, we've got to allow the fire of God to come in our life. Because if there's too much of me, too much of Ty, too much of the flesh, then I will not share my faith. If you really think of the things that keep us stumbling from sharing our faith, it usually comes down to what? For me, it comes down to sometimes fear. Fear of rejection, not wanting to cause strife, not possibly bringing up something that might bring division. Understanding that Jesus Christ already said that it's going to bring division. But Jesus Christ also said, if you deny me before what? Men. I will deny you before who? The Father. Jesus Christ caused the ultimate division. He had the ultimate persecution. He says, if you are followers of me, it will happen to you. Yet oftentimes in my own life, I pull back because I'm afraid of the division. I don't want to let the fire of God come through me. It could bring strife. Amen? It could bring division. Also, something that keeps me is when you don't spend time with Jesus Christ, when you don't allow the fire of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you, you are not convinced that all men have to surrender to Jesus Christ. Because you're not convinced there's a real heaven and a real hell. Because these things, you have to go by faith. Where's your physical evidence of heaven and hell? Maybe Tom should preach this sermon, huh? But we go by faith, by the word of God, that there is a real heaven and a real hell. We go by faith. It is a revelation, isn't it? The same thing that reveals to us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that by His blood, I have the forgiveness of sins. This is received by what? By faith. By spiritual revelation. When you're not in a constant relationship with Jesus Christ, you are not convinced that there's a real heaven and a real hell. Because if you are convinced of that, nothing could keep you from opening your mouth. Amen? It's true. You've all heard the story of the man walking doing on his daily walk, just walking. Sees a house on fire. Sees people inside. Keeps on walking. That's really what we're doing in the spiritual realm and we're not convinced that there's a real hell and a real heaven. Our natural man says what? When we see someone in a fire, we want to do something to help. 
And the Spirit of God will give you revelation of the reality of heaven and hell so that you want to go out and you have a burden for the lost within you. If you don't have a burden for the lost within you, it's because you haven't allowed Jesus Christ to place it in you. Because that's his heart. That's his commission. That's the love of God. He wants to pour it in you. He's looking for a vessel he can pour that burden into. But he's not going to pour it into a vessel who gives stillbirths. He's not going to give it into a vessel where you always have to have a miscarriage. He's looking for somebody. He's looking for a person. He's looking for a man, woman, or child who will take the burden in the belly and get rid of it and deliver the message in the love of Jesus Christ. He is looking for people to deliver his message. And too many Christians for too long have been just giving stillbirths and miscarriages. And that's why God is judging his house, judging his church. Because the church must be a living organism. Praise the Lord. I want to read you something that so affected my life as a young believer. I can remember how much God just, I mean, I can just remember the time, the emotions, that when I first read this thing. I probably have told you the story when I was, as Tom says, a heathen scumbag. I graduated from high school in 1990, and I had a friend of mine, and we went down to San Diego, because he had a sister, older sister that was living there. And we were just drove down there, and we, you know, just living the way of the world, right? Because I was under the influence of the spirit of this world. And so my desires, the things that were important to me, my emotions and my mind, they're all influenced by who? By the spirit of this world, the prince of this world. It's one or the other, isn't it? Either you're under the spirit of this world or you're under Jesus Christ. You're under the law of God or the law of this world. One or the other. I was definitely under the law of this world, okay? I think some people can relate to that in their own lives. And I went down to San Diego, and I remember I went out, we just, I think we went to Mexico, and you know what happens there, and you know, I remember I had way too much tequila, I never touched it since, oh. But Jesus Christ had a plan for me that day. We were at some person's house, I don't know who it was, and I got up the next morning, no one was awake, it was like five in the morning, I couldn't sleep well. In this place where we were at, it was a couple 20, 20-year-olds, and their parents were out of town. Their parents, I think, were Christian. And isn't this interesting? I believe that that son that was living there, he was a prodigal son. I believe the parents, from what I understood, were righteous. They were righteous in pursuing God. They are away on vacation. Son has party. I happen to be there. I wake up the next morning feeling quite poor. Quite poor. And I remember just feeling awful. And I wandered over to this wall. I looked on this wall, and for the first time in my life, I read footprints in the sand. Y'all know the story, amen? And that was God speaking to me right there. Because I was a wandering man. I was a man that was just trying everything in this world to find some security and find some hope and find some identity. And you do stupid things when you're looking for identity. Amen? When you try to find security and self-worth apart from Jesus Christ, you'll do some very interesting things. This is where people get into things like pornography. Because pornography is a way of trying for a short time to find self-worth and self-gratification. Amen? And the Lord spoke to me, and that was the first time I can look in my life where the hand of God came upon me and the glory of God was right there. And he was saying, I want to carry you. Will you let me? And it took several years past that. I didn't surrender my life to the Lord completely until 1995. It took five years. I was still struggling, but God always brought me back to that point where he revealed himself. It was a burning bush experience for me. 
And there was another burning burst experience I had, and I believe it was in 1995, where I was going to a church, kind of. And I was kind of playing the fence. And finally God said, I need you to take that step. I can only present myself as much as I have. If you want more of me, you've got to make a choice in your life. Because I was playing both sides of the fence. Going to church, still had the friends and security. You know what I'm saying? Kind of one eye on Canaan and one eye on Egypt. And going back and forth as it pleased me. You understand? Maybe one or two of you have been there before. And the Lord brought to me a small pamphlet. It was called, My Heart, Christ's Home. Anyone ever read that? Nobody. Praise God. This will be good. It's written by Robert Boyd Munger. And this was, again, my second burning bush experience. My first one is about really about salvation as far as, here I am. I am real. I've died for you. Will you come to me? And it took me about five years to make that step. And the second burning bush, I think I was saved at that point, but I was not ready to really, I had the, kind of the one foot in the mud and one foot in the river of God, and, and I didn't know what to do, and I just didn't know if I could give up the security of the world, you know, the, the friends. Because we all need community, don't we? We all need security of people that love us. And so I still have these friends in my life that had nice security and God is saying they're a bad influence on you. I want to bless you. And I had gone to a singles group for about two months, but I never really got past a superficial conversation. So I'd come and just didn't know how. I was really insecure in that position. I didn't know how to give my life or surrender and let people come and speak to me in my life. And finally I said, Lord, when I read this, I said, Lord, I'll do it. I'm going to give up my friends and my security and I'm going to come. And I tell you what, that night, there was a singles group, and I met three people that night. Three people, and two of those people were in my wedding. Praise the Lord. And that was what? That was three or four years later. My point is, God brought people that were influential in my life that night. He says, I will take care of your needs. I'll take care of your identity. I'll take care of the fellowship. I'll take care of the friends. Just walk towards me. And it was after I read My Heart, Christ's Home. And I'm going to read that. And as I read, I'm going to make a couple comments along the way. It starts by saying, One evening I invited Jesus Christ into my heart. What an entrance he made. It was not a spectacular emotional thing, but very real. Something happened at the very center of my life. He came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. He built a fire on the hearth and banished the chill. He started music where there had been stillness. And he filled the emptiness with his own loving, wonderful fellowship. I have never regretted opening the door to Christ, and I never will. In the joy of this new relationship, I said to Jesus Christ, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want to have you settle down here and be perfectly at home. Everything I have belongs to you. Let me show you around. The first room was the study, the library. In my home, this is the room of the mind. Amen? The library. In my home, this room of the mind is a very small room with very thick walls. Can anyone relate to that? Thick skull, small brain, try to figure out God. But it is a very important room. In a sense, it is the control room of the house. He entered with me and looked around at the books in the bookcase. He looked at the magazines upon the table, the pictures upon the wall. As I followed his gaze, I became very uncomfortable. Strangely, I had not felt self-conscious about this before. But now that he was there looking at these things, I was quite embarrassed. 
Some books were there that his eyes were too pure to behold. On the table, there were a few magazines that a Christian had no business reading. As for the pictures on the wall, the imaginations and the thoughts of the mind, some of these were shameful. Red-faced, I turned to him and said, Master, I know this room needs to be cleaned up and made over. Will you help me make it what it ought to be? Certainly, he said, I'm glad to help you. First of all, take all the things that you are reading and looking at which are not helpful, which are not pure, which are not good, which are not true, and throw them out. Now, put on the empty shelves the books of the Bible. Fill the library with Scripture and meditate on it day and night. As for the pictures on the wall, you will have difficulty controlling these images. Amen? Do you ever struggle with that? Do you ever struggle in your life with the pictures upon the wall of your mind? Pictures that perhaps you allowed or entertained years ago. Do you struggle with those? This is what Jesus Christ says to him. You will have difficulty controlling these images, but I have something that will help. He gave me a full-size portrait of himself. Hang this centrally, he said, on the wall of the mind. I did, and I have discovered through the years that when my thoughts are centered upon Christ himself, his purity and power cause impure thoughts to back away. So he has helped me to bring my thoughts under his control. Now a couple of points I want to make. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5, it says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive, and we take captive every thought and make it what? Make it obedient to what? To Jesus Christ. To make it obedient to the will of God. And so when we allow the Spirit of God to come into us, when we allow the fire to come in, He comes in like what for the believer? What for the priesthood? He comes in like a refining fire and a launderer's soap. Right? Well, if He's coming in as a refining fire and a launderer's soap, it doesn't take a very smart man to figure out that soap is meant to clean up what? Dirt. Praise the Lord. It's not like He didn't understand what you needed. He understood the provision and He gave the provision. He gave the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He gave the baptism of fire. He has given it for you and for me. He has given it for our minds. He has given it so He can cleanse the thoughts, the images on the mind. When we come to Jesus Christ, we don't have a spiritual lobotomy, do we? He doesn't just take that mind and say, here. He says, now I have given you the fire. I have given you the Holy Spirit. And now we're going to transform the mind. Amen? That brings us to our next scripture. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, when we surrender, God takes over. When we surrender, 
God takes over. When you invite Jesus Christ to come into your mind, when you invite him to come into your library, the control room, what he's wanting you to say to him is, Lord, the images, the information in my mind needs help. Will you help me cleanse them? And he says, certainly, I will help you. Amen? If you're worried about thoughts in your mind, if you're worried about things in your mind that tempt you, how quick can an image or a fact from the past set off this roller coaster ride into sin? The devil understands the portraits that are on your mind. He knows the portraits on your mind. He knows the magazines upon the table. He knows the books upon your bookshelf. Amen? He knows it because they're really intimately tied to him anyway. He is the author of them. He wrote them. You bought them at some part of your life. And now we say, Lord, my bookshelf is filthy. My coffee table needs help. The pictures on the wall, I'm ashamed. Lord, help me. And if you say, Lord Jesus, you have provided the baptism, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You have provided the fire, the pure. You have provided the refining fire and the launderer's soap. You understand that he will come and he will transform your library. He will transform it. What is the answer? The answer is you need more of him in your mind. Because when he comes into your mind, the junk has to go. Amen? If you'll just surrender, if you'll just invite him into your mind, if you'll just draw close unto him, he will purify your mind. That's exciting. It's not about, there's three steps that every person needs to do to cleanse your mind. It's one step, it's surrender. Because when you surrender, he takes over. The baptism of fire to refine, the baptism of the Holy Spirit to fill. From the study, we went into the dining room. The room of appetites and desires. I spent a lot of time and hard work trying to satisfy my wants. I said to him, this is a favorite room of mine. I am quite sure you will be pleased with what we serve. He seated himself at the table with me and asked, what is on the menu for dinner? Well, I said, my favorite dishes. Money, academic degrees, stocks, newspaper articles of fame and fortunes as side dishes. These are the things I like too, secular fare. When the food was placed before him, he said nothing, but I observed that he did not eat it. I said to him, Master, don't you care for this food? What is the trouble? He answered, I have food to eat that you do not know of. If you want food that really satisfies you, do the will of the Father. Stop seeking your own pleasures, desires, and satisfactions. Seek to please Him. That food will satisfy you. There at the table, He gave me a taste of the joy of doing God's will. What flavor? There is no food like it in the world. It alone satisfies. Now, one thing that I got caught with by the Lord, I was like, who would invite in this conversation and say, Lord, I present to you money and fame and the things of this world. But you know what? Jesus Christ knows your desires. He knows the things that motivate you, doesn't he? And to the outward world, you can look very pious. But you can still be filled with what? Dead man's bones. God alone will judge the heart and the desires of man. And so when he was sitting at this table, he only had to offer what was in him, right? 
He had nothing to offer that wasn't of him. He couldn't offer the other things because this is what really was his desires, his motivation. This is what drove him. Right? You only can offer what you have. And don't get caught up thinking like myself when I was reading this, what fool would ever present God with these kind of things? You can only present what's within you. If that's what's within you, that's all you have to offer the Lord. And if you invite him into the heart, into your dining room, this is what you have to offer him. We all struggle with ungodly desires. But I want to talk about the cure. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. The righteousness of the blameless makes a straight way for them. But the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them. But the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. You see, all of us have, when we come to Jesus Christ, evil desires, so don't we? All of us have motivations, appetites, that for a time in our life were controlled by the prince of this world. Whether it be lust of money, whether it be lust of flesh, whether it be pride and vanity, whether it be popularity, fame, fortune, these are the things that are the lust really of the prince of this world. And in the same way with the mind, our appetites, our desires, the things that drive us, must come under the fire of God. All of us have times where someone's asked us or said, I want to do this or I want to go there. And you have an uneasiness about it. And the question I always ask somebody is, what is driving you to make that decision? What is the motivation behind it? Is it the Spirit of God or is it the Spirit of this world? Amen? Has anyone ever felt driven? By something apart from Jesus Christ? Where you felt like you had to do it? That desire was so strong within you? It had been there so long? Its residence was so strong within your heart that you felt like you almost could not control it? I've been there. I've been to that place. I had to receive deliverance for that thing. <laughs> it was a force, an appetite, and a desire that I had cultivated for so long that I didn't have control over it. That's a scary place, isn't it? I had to be set free. I had to have people come and lay hands on me and rebuke that devil. <laughs> and he came out. I remember that time of deliverance and I remember I sat there and I could not, I had this, my whole body was numb. My lip, I could not even, I felt like my tongue was like 10 times bigger than it was. I, I couldn't even, I, my hands were like this in this position, like this, for like 30 minutes. I just, I couldn't even move as the devil was manifesting and coming out of me. That desire, that appetite, had been fed long enough to get to a place where I had no longer control over it with my will. Amen? That's the point where you need someone to lay hands on you and rebuke a devil. Praise the Lord. Psalms 34, verse 1 through 8. says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I believe this is the answer to have our desires shaped by the will of God. We must come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen?
We must come and partake of him. We must come and eat of his body and drink of his blood. We must come and taste. Do you see that in every aspect when you give your life, when you give the rooms of your heart to Jesus Christ, he doesn't just come like a robber and take over the house. He says to you in your mind, he says, now get rid of the books. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Draw nigh unto me. Come to me and I will cleanse you. The responsibility of the Christian to come and to draw nigh, to surrender to God. How do we get delivered? How do we get set free from the emotions, from the desires of our lives that are contrary to the will of God? We must come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that He is good. If you're going to taste Him, you've got to go to Him. You've got to draw nigh to Him. Your flesh will say no. Your flesh will say pull back. Your flesh will say sleep in. Your flesh will say it's enough. But Jesus says, come and taste and see. I will give you desires that are my desires. Praise the Lord. Let's go taste of him. We need to taste him more. Come and eat of me. Jesus Christ says, I have food and drink which you know nothing about. But I want to share it with you. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's taste and see the Lord is so good. Psalms 119, in verse 102, says, I have not departed from your laws, for you yourselves have taught me. How sweet are the words to my taste, sweeter than any honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I ate every wrong path. The words of Jesus Christ are so sweet, they're so wonderful. We need to come and allow His words to be impregnated within us. He wants to place His word in us. The living word that can transform you. That can take over. He wants to do it, but will you let Him? Will you come? Will you surrender? Will you put your life upon the altar? Will you give Him your full heart today? Let's move to the next room. 1 Peter 2 and 3 says, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Know that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted and know the Lord is good? He invites you to his banqueting table. Remember what it says in Revelations, that behold, I stand at the door and I knock. It says, he who hears my voice and opens the door. Again, the responsibility of the believer. He will knock at the door of your heart. He will knock, but he will make you come and to open that door. And open it, and he will come in and says what? And I will dine with you, and you with me. The place of desires, the place of wants. He wants to place his desires and his wants into your life. From the dining room, we walked into the living room. This room was intimate and comfortable. I liked it. It had a fireplace, overstuffed chairs, a sofa, and a quiet atmosphere. He said, this is indeed a delightful room. Let us come here often. It is secluded and quiet, and we can fellowship together. Well, as a young Christian, I was thrilled. I couldn't think of anything I'd rather do than have a few minutes with Christ in close companionship. He promised, I will be here every morning early. Meet here and we will start the day together. So morning after morning, I would meet, come downstairs to the living room. 
He would take a book of the Bible from the case. He would open it, and we would read together. He would unfold to me the wonder of God's saving truth. My heart sang as he shared the love and the grace he had towards me. These were wonderful times. However, little by little, under the pressures of my responsibilities, this time began to be shortened. Why? I'm not sure. I thought I was too busy to spend regular time with Jesus. This was not intentional, you understand. It just happened that way. Finally, not only was the time shortened, but I began to miss days now and then. Urgent matters would crowd out the quiet times of conversation with Jesus. I remember one morning, rushing downstairs, eager to be on my way. I passed the living room and noticed the door was open. Looking in, I saw a fire in the fireplace and Jesus was sitting there. Suddenly in dismay, I thought to myself, He is my guest. I invited him into my heart. He has come as my Savior and my friend, and yet I am neglecting him. I stopped, turned, and hesitantly went in. With downcast glance, I said, Master, forgive me. Have you been here all these mornings? Yes, he said. I told you I would be here to meet with you. Remember, I love you. I have redeemed you at a great cost. I value your fellowship. Even if you cannot keep the quiet time for your own sake, do it for mine. The truth that Christ desires my companionship, that he wants me to be with him and waits for me, has done more to transform my quiet time with God than any other single fact. Don't let Christ wait alone in the living room of your heart, but every day find time when with your Bible and in prayer you may be together with him. Remember what it said in Acts chapter 1? Jesus Christ says what? Go wait and tarry for me. Tamar asks the question, how long do they tarry to wait for the blessing of God? Well, if my memory serves me right, that Jesus Christ after Passover was seen amongst the disciples for 40 days. We know that Pentecost is 50 days. From Passover, there was 10 days where they were up in the upper room waiting for God. 10 days of just praying and seeking and thirsting and hungering drawing nigh to the Lord. And he came and he filled them with the fire and with the Holy Spirit. In the living room of our heart, Jesus Christ has made a covenant with you. Jesus Christ guarantees that every morning, every day, he will be there to fellowship with you. Amen? He will always make that appointment. He will always be there. He is faithful, the Bible says, even though we are not faithful. When he makes a covenant with man, a promise, he always comes through. So though we may rush by that time of fellowship, know that Jesus Christ is always there. That when you're rushing by, you're rushing by Jesus. He is there. He is ready. He is desiring to have intimacy with you. He wants to have fellowship with you. Isn't that wonderful? That Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, sits in the living room of your heart and waits and wants to have fellowship with you? Isn't that amazing? The whole world tries to pursue God. And in their frustration, they come up with things like being an agnostic because they cannot understand that God has come to them and he must surrender. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is indeed weak. Before long, he asked, do you have a workroom? Out in the garage of the home of my heart, I have a workbench and some equipment. But I was not doing much with it, 
Once in a while, I would play around with a few little gadgets, but I wasn't producing anything substantial. I led him out there, and he looked over the workbench and said, Well, this is quite well furnished. What are you producing with your life for the kingdom of God? He looked at one or two little toys that I had thrown together on the bench, and he held one up to me. Is this the sort of thing you are doing for others in your Christian life? Well, I said, Lord, I know it isn't much, but after all, I don't seem to have strength or skill to do more. Would you like to do better, he asked. Certainly, I replied. All right, let me have your hands. Now relax in me and let my spirit work through you. I know that you are unskilled, clumsy, and awkward, but the Holy Spirit is the master workman. And if he controls your hands and your heart, he will work through you. Stepping around behind me, he put his great strong hands under mine. He held the tools in his skilled fingers and began to work through me. The more I relaxed and trusted in him, the more he was able to do things with my life. All of us feel at times in our life that we are unskilled, clumsy, and no good. Amen? Many times I feel that I'm in a place where I cannot do it on my own. And we have said over and over again, that's where Jesus Christ wants you. He wants you to understand that you cannot do it on your own. Just like Moses could not fulfill the commission of God on his own. Jesus Christ says, I am that I am. What you are not, I am. What you lack, I have. What you cannot do in your power, I am all powerful. Don't let the things of this world and people of this world put you down. Because when Jesus Christ looks at your life, he says, well, this is well furnished. Why? Because when Jesus Christ is in you, every resource is available for you. Amen? And so if you have gone through this life when people have told you you're this and you're that, you're no good, you're ugly, you're not smart, Jesus Christ says, I will do it through you. Relax in me. Quit trying to do it by yourself and do it through me. Let me take over that part of your heart. He asked me if I had a rec room where I went for fun and fellowship. I was hoping he would not ask about that. There were certain associations and activities that I wanted to keep for myself. One evening when I was on my way out with some of my buddies, he stopped me with a glance and asked, Are you going out? I replied, Yes. Good, he said. I would like to go with you. Oh, I answered rather awkwardly. I don't think, Lord Jesus, that you would really enjoy where we're going. Let's go out tomorrow night. Tomorrow night we'll go to a Bible class at church. But tonight I have another appointment. I'm sorry, he said. I thought that when I came into your home, we were going to do everything together. To be close companions. I just want you to know that I am willing to go with you. Well, I mumbled, slipping out the door. We'll go somewhere tomorrow. That evening I spent some miserable hours. I felt rotten. What kind of friend was I to Jesus? Deliberately leaving him out of my life, doing things and going places that I knew very well he would not enjoy. When I returned that evening, there was a light on in his room, and I went up to talk it over with him. I said, Lord, I have learned my lesson. I know now that I can't have a good time without you. From now on, we will do everything together. Then we went down into the rec room of the house, and he transformed it. 
He brought new friends, new joys, new excitement. Laughter and music have been ringing through the house ever since. Isn't that true with the Lord? This is really the testimony that I gave you in my own life. Where Jesus Christ wanted to go with me, but I was doing things he didn't want to be a part of. And he wants to. He wants to go everywhere in my life. He wants to go everywhere in your life. And if we can get that spiritual revelation that Jesus Christ is right there, and he's within you, and he's fashioning your desires and your mind, then there's no place in your mind, there's no place you can go that you would be ashamed to bring him with you. Is there any places in your life today that you would be ashamed to bring Jesus Christ? Is there anything that you set before your eyes that you'd be very uncomfortable if you understood that Jesus Christ is right there? Is there any movies that you entertain yourself with that you pass off as innocent, yet they seed seeds of this world into your life? Ask yourself the simple question. If Jesus Christ, if I could just see him, He's here whether you know it or not, whether you understand it or not. If you could just see him, and he is sitting right here, the King of Kings, the Lord of glory. If he was sitting right next to you, watching the thing that you're watching, would you feel a bit uncomfortable in that situation? Amen? Jesus Christ wants to go everywhere with you. Everything that you put your eyes on, can I ask you, is it promoting the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your life? Every place that you desire to go, is that you're going because it's the righteousness of Christ in your life? We need to be careful about the things that we do, the places that we go, the things that we allow our minds and our eyes and our heart to pertain with. Because Jesus Christ is right there. Praise the Lord. One day I found him waiting for me at the door. An arresting look was in his eye. As I entered, he said to me, there is a peculiar odor in the house. Something must be dead around here. It's upstairs. I think it's in the hall closet, he said. As soon as he said this, I knew what he was talking about. There was a small closet up there on the hall landing, just a few square feet in size. In that closet behind lock and key, I had one or two little personal things that I did not want anyone to know about. Certainly I did not want Christ to see them. I knew they were dead and rotting things left over from the old life. I wanted them so for myself that I was afraid to admit they were there. Reluctantly, I went up with them, and as we mounted the stairs, the odor became stronger and stronger. He pointed to the door. I was angry. That's the only way I can put it. I had given him access to the library, the dining room, the living room, the rec room, the work room, and now he was asking me about a little two-by-four closet. I said to myself, this is too much. I'm not going to give him the key. Well, he said, reading my thoughts, if you think I'm going to stay up here on the second floor with this smell, you're mistaken. I'll go out on the porch. Then I saw him start down the stairs. When one comes to know and love Christ, the worst thing that can happen is to sense him withdrawing his fellowship. Isn't that true? Let's put this into practicalities. Think for yourself a time in the past where you had a good friend. Amen? This could have been way back when you were a child. It could be recently. You had this great kindred spirit. You guys were always in unity, always flowing. You guys loved each other's fellowship. You longed when you got home from school to kick off the nice shoes and go out with that friend. Remember that time when that friend 
Started withdrawing the fellowship. Remember the hurts, the pain of a friend that you love pulling away from you? How true it is when Jesus Christ is burning within us. The love, the joy, the peace of Jesus Christ. You know that peace, that joy where you can just sit there and weep and cry in his presence? How awful to experience that fellowship pulling away because there's a two-by-four closet that you're not willing to give up. Amen? I'll give you the key, I said sadly, but you will have to open the closet and clean it out. I haven't the strength to do it. Just give me the key, he said, to take care of that closet, and I will. With trembling fingers, I passed the key to him. He took it, walked over to the door, opened it, entered it, took out the putrefying stuff that was rotting there and threw it away. Then he cleaned the closet and painted it. It was done in a moment's time. Oh, what victory and release to have the dead thing out of my life. Amen? Is there any dead things in your heart where you say, I've given 95% of my life to the Lord. I've let him take control of every room. Can I have the two by four? And Jesus says, it's a stench in my nostrils. It stinks. I want it all. I want all of your heart. I want all of your life. I don't want just a pie slice of your heart, of your devotion. I want all of your devotion. I don't want just your heart when you come to church. I don't want just your heart when you're in your home. I don't want just your hearts in a certain place. I want your heart and your devotion when you go to school, when you go to the workplace, when you're by yourself, when there's not people around you to keep an eye on you, to hold you accountable. I want you when you're by yourself. I want to control that closet. But do you realize that when you have a closet as small and as insignificant as you may want to consider it, that the odor, the influence in that closet permeates the house? It corrupts the whole house. Amen? And when people come into your life, you and your mind say, I've given 95%, but that rotting closet, that stink, permeates the rest of your house and really causes your testimony to be quenched. Jesus Christ wants the closet. Will you give him the closet? You have to give him authority. You have to authorize him. He just says, give me the key. I will take care of it for you. Surrender it. You don't have the power to cleanse it, but he has the power to cleanse it. Praise the Lord. A thought came to me, Lord, is there any chance that you would take over the management of the whole house and operate it for me as you would and as you did the closet? Would you take the responsibility to keep my life what it ought to be? His face lit up as he replied, I'd love to. This is what I want to do. You cannot be a victorious Christian in your own strength. Let me do it through you and for you. That is the way. But he added slowly, I am the guest. I have no authority to proceed since the property is not mine. Dropping to my knees, I said, Lord, you have been a guest and I have been a host. For now on, I'm going to be a servant. You are going to be the owner and master. Running as fast as I could to the box, I took out the title deed to the house, describing its assets and liabilities, location and situation. I eagerly signed the house over to him, alone for time and eternity. Here, I said, here it is, all that I am and have forever. Now you run the house. 
I'll just remain with you as a servant and friend. Things are different since Jesus Christ has settled down and made his home in my heart. Friends, this is what Jesus wants. Jesus wants to baptize you with his fire. Why the fire? Because we have junk. We have dirt. We have thoughts, imaginations, desires, associations, friends, things that we long to see. We have things in our life which are odorous, which don't smell good. Jesus Christ wants to give the fire to clean it out. It's like he cleaned that closet. But it's even better than that. He's not only going to give the baptism of fire, but right next to it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit to fill that house, to fill your heart. Amen? This is how we become empowered to be witnesses. You cannot be empowered to be a witness apart from the fire and the Holy Spirit of God. This is the process. This is Pentecost. Pentecost is every day. Amen? Every single day is Pentecost, if you want it to be. It's not just one time a year anymore. The Spirit of the living God is here today to cleanse you and to empower you for your Christian walk. We must surrender. We must give authority. We must give Him the key to our life, the key to our heart. He will take your hands. He will fashion something beautiful. He will make you a living epistle. And so today I want to allow just a few moments of response as we close. Right where you're at, I want to just give a few minutes for us to allow Jesus Christ to search our hearts about where our closet is. I know that most of us in this room have given large chunks, large parts of our heart to Jesus Christ. But I know based on my own life and based on the Word of God that there's always an area where He wants to cleanse it more, to take over more. There's something that He's been speaking to you about for the last weeks or months that He's not pleased with, that you struggle to surrender it. And Jesus Christ is saying, just give me the key. Give me the authority. And so today as we close, I want you to spend a couple moments allowing Jesus Christ to speak to us about that area of surrender. And so let's just use our seats. You can sit there, you can kneel down, use it as an altar. But let's just allow two or three minutes for the Lord to speak to us, to shape us, to fill us, to cleanse us. You can have cleansing so quickly right now in your life. The stronghold can be broken right now. Let the glory of God come upon you right now. Let Jesus Christ come into you right now and set you free in this area. Amen? Let the Pentecost power of Jesus Christ, let it fill you right now. Let's take a couple of minutes. But Jesus Christ wants the full deed. You have been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ and he wants to have access to the entirety of your life. Father, we just surrender our hearts to you this afternoon, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for your Pentecost power. We thank you for the cleansing. We thank you, Lord God, for the refining that you long to do in our lives. And only if your children would give you authority and access, if we would give you the key to our hearts. We thank you, Lord God, even right now as you are working in our lives, working in our hearts. I thank you for the surrender that happened this afternoon, Lord. And I thank you for the cleansing, the purifying that's happened right now. And we just pray to God that as a fellowship that you would knit us together in unity, that we would all be of the same heart, the same mind, the same purpose, Lord. That we would all desire Pentecost power in our lives. Because you long to pour out the blessings. You long to do it. 
If only the children would say, Yes, Lord God, I grant you authority and access to my life, the fullness of my life. If we'd only say that and mean it from the heart of hearts, you will surely pour out your blessing. You will surely make this congregation not only multiply, but be light to be salt to affect a dying world. You want to use us, Lord. I pray to God that we would grant you access to take over our lives, to take over our ministry, to take over in every way, Lord. We pray, Lord God, blessing upon each person, that you would bless each person here. Take us, Lord God, to our homes, Lord, safely. Give us a beautiful afternoon and evening, Lord God, to fellowship with one another, to fellowship with our family, to be spiritually, emotionally, and physically healed and rejuvenated. We pray blessing. We love you, Lord. We commit the Word of God. We commit what's happened in this place to your kingdom, to your life, to your precious blood. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And God be with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.